Hey. Those of you at the front, I was just chatting with Carrie. I was just encouraging and comforting her and saying that I made a mistake once. <laughs> back in 1963, it was... Hey, if you've, if you've been around here for a while, you know that my mistakes are daily. So, uh, anyway, really good to see you. Happy Labor Day. I don't know whether you say Happy Labor Day. I don't know. But uh, I, I was asking Pastor Brent Cunningham last night. I said, what is Labor Day? And he said, it is where we are grateful for the American workforce, labor force, and for the fact that we're not British. So, <laughs> I'm like, okay, I believe him, you know. So, great to see you. Hey, um, I've been mentioning over the last few months that Kay, my wife Kay and I, are leading this last ever trip to London and Israel next March, and uh, we've, we're full up, but we managed to get another nine rooms However, as of last night and the first service this morning, I think there are four or five left. So if you've been thinking about this and thinking, well, maybe I should go, or maybe not, come and see us at the table. Karen Bauer uh, and I will be out there. And uh, I'm I think that by the time this weekend is done, um, we'll be full. So I wanted to give you that opportunity. So we are continuing this series in Mark's Gospel, Jesus, Hope, Help, and Healing. And the title for my message this weekend is, Have a Heart. Have a Heart. And um, before the reading, I, I want to just make a comment to you. I, I've been in ministry for a long time. I, my wife and I, we planted a church when I was 19, uh, still at, at Bible school. And we be I became the first full-time pastor of that church at 21. So I've been, I've been doing this for 48 years, but, but here's the deal, and I've thought about the statement I'm about to make. This weekend's message is the most difficult message that I've ever prepared for, and um, it's, uh, it's a big challenge, and we're going to look at some sensitive areas, including divorce, because we're working our way through Mark, and, um, and this is a section of this. So I would like your prayers and I would like your grace as well, because um, it's always possible for a throwaway comment or a tone to come across in a particular way. So I ask for your prayers and grace, because hope, help, and healing is the, uh, is the series, not hopelessness, harm, and hurt. That wouldn't go down quite so well. So um, I ask for that. We're looking at three episodes in Mark's gospel, 31 verses in Mark chapter 10. So we're going to just take some snapshots from the text. And the first one is Jesus walking into a trap that was carefully set for him. Jesus then, Mark 10:1, Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea and across the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? He replied, they said, Moses permitted a man to write, uh, permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law. Then there's further dialogue about this, including a private conversation with the disciples that followed it. And then we move to the next piece, which is the disciples messing up 
And in Mark's gospel, the disciples mess up endlessly, which cheers me up no end. They're just bumbling around, and, and here they go again. Verse 13, people were bringing little children to Jesus to, for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. There's a third encounter. This time, it's with a rich man who comes to talk to Jesus. Verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And there's a conversation that they have, and the result of that conversation is that man takes off. He, he doesn't want what Jesus is offering. He goes away sad. And then Jesus speaks to his disciples, Mark 10, 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? A couple of months ago, I went for a wellness check. I wanted to make sure that this magnificent specimen of physique, thank you for your support, was truly working well. And so what they do is they do all kinds of tests and they, they, they send you a report afterwards. And they told me, um, first of all, they told me to lose some weight and, I've, and I'm obedient, I've done that. I've developed this new weight loss program. Uh, my wife Kay is back in England at, at the moment looking after her mum who's not too well. And so I'm home alone for a month at least. And uh, I've got this new weight loss program called Cooking for Myself. <laughs> and I'm going to market it, baby. I mean, it's, 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 it's good. But the, the wellness check, it, it gave me a heart age. What they do is they, they look at your cholesterol and your weight and your blood pressure. And you might be, let's say, 50, but then they say, well, your heart age is 47 because you're super fit, or you're 54 because you're not. Uh, they give you a heart age. And I am sad to tell you that my heart age is one year than my actual age. I have got the heart age of a 39-year-old. Please, <laughs> please pray for me. <laughs> In each of these three episodes, which seem unrelated, there is a consistent theme of heart health. Now, of course, when the Bible talks about heart health, it's not talking about the physical pump that pushes blood around our bodies. The Bible is talking about the essential nature of us, who we are. And the Bible makes it really clear repeatedly that heart health matters. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Look at the priority of these words. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So as we dive into this, let's know that heart issues really matter. And in fact, 
The issue behind the issues here in these three episodes is hardness of heart. In Mark 10, 5, Jesus actually reflecting about the breakdown of relationships. He says, it was because your hearts were hard. And when you, when you zoom back from Mark 10, this is a consistent theme. The Pharisees are hard-hearted. They don't care about people. They just want to set Jesus up into a, uh, an evocative theological debate. I recall that moment when they dragged a woman caught in the very act of adultery, and they, they were not afraid to totally shame her because they didn't see a person. They saw an issue that they wanted to talk about in that situation again, to try and trap him. You know, but whenever we talk about stuff and we just move into issues and we forget that we're talking about people, we are following a Pharisaic trail. Let's remember that. And then, as I've said, Jesus points to a reason for relationships breaking down, hard-heartedness, and then, and then the disciples show a hard-hearted attitude to the parents and their children who were coming to Rabbi Jesus for a blessing, and they send them away. And then, as we'll see, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus, he was hard-hearted too because he's leaning on his riches and his own morality to save him. The Bible generally, and Mark's gospel specifically, speaks about hard-heartedness. Twice in Hebrews, and here's one example, Hebrews 3.15, we hear these words, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then the Pharisees in Mark's gospel Hard-hearted, Mark 3, 5. He looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. But it's not just them. Because in Mark's gospel, the disciples have a heart problem as well. Mark 6, they had not understood about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. Jesus asked them a question and challenges them about this. Mark 8, do you still not see or understand are your hearts hardened? And all of that makes me want to stop and go, so really, forget the physical. How is my heart towards God and others? Is it tender? Is it sensitive? Because here's the thing. We tend to think that we're the good people. We tend to think that it's somebody else's problem. With my wife Kay being away, I had to do something this week that I've never done before in my life, and that was cut my own hair. Now, this doesn't seem to be a major challenge because it is a shrinking peninsula, but the peninsula <laughs> is getting smaller. I used to have Texas up there, but now I've got Maryland. I mean, it's getting smaller. The way this is going, it's going to develop into a small Caribbean island. I know that. And so I called my wife, Kay, and I said, Honey, you're not here, so I, 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 it, it's looking a bit bad, so I need to cut it. And she said, Have you prayed and fasted for nine days <laughs> before doing that? And I said, I think I can do this. So I got the clippers out and, and you know, number three on the top, number two at the sides. And I was terrified that that thing was going to clip off and I was going to come up like the last of the Mohicans, you know. And, um, and, uh, I called her back, and I got on Zoom, and I said, 
what do you think? What do you think? And she said, turn around. And I turned around. She said, you've got like this major thing sticking out the back of your head. And I, I said, well, that's because I can't see back there. And she said, well, okay, well, just get back there and, 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 and do what you can. And, and, and here's the thing. I cannot see the back of my own head without a mirror. Nor can you. And the Bible says that it's a mirror. And, and that's what we're like. We don't ultimately see ourselves. We need to ask the Holy Spirit, show me. How's my heart? Is it tender, sensitive to God? Secondly, let's move on. There's a cunning trap, a cunning trap, questions about divorce. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, some of you are looking at me going, I don't know why you're concerned, Jeff. Just preach the word. And you're right, I need to preach the word. But there are at least three different interpretations about divorce and remarriage in mainstream Christianity, and all three of those groups believe that they've got the right interpretation of Scripture that can be challenging. So let me make a few points that I hope will be helpful. First of all, this was a test rather than extended teaching. It's a test the, the, the word says they tested him. That word actually means they were tempting him. They're trying to draw him into a trap. And look at where he was when they did this. Because we know that he was in an area called Perea. You say, so what? What's that got to do with anything? It was in that area where John the Baptist had spoken out against the casual divorce of Herod Antipas, the governor of the area, and he dumped his wife, sent her back to what we now call Petra, and, uh, and then just casually married a, another woman, Herodias. It ultimately turned out and created a war, but we won't go there now. Here's the point. In this area where this happened, John had got himself arrested and ultimately executed because of the discussion or his confrontation about the way Antipas did his relationships. And now the Pharisees are trying to draw Jesus out. Come on now. What do you have to say about this? Let's know that Jesus was surely under pressure. This was a trap. But please do not misunderstand what I just said. That doesn't in any way diminish what he said. How many know that Jesus is totally calm under pressure? But this is not a full body of teaching. This was a trap set up for him. But that doesn't minimize his words, but it gives us a sense of the purpose of his words. We should know as well, this is not the only teaching in the New Testament about divorce. If we're going to treat Scripture properly, we compare Scripture with Scripture. So in Matthew's Gospel, there is more talk about this from Jesus, which Mark didn't include because culturally he assumed that his listeners would know about that. And then in 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul also provides us with teaching which points back to the book of Genesis. This is not the only teaching. Let's say this. God is absolutely for marriage. 
we go back to Genesis 2, the original creation mandate. God is for marriage. When I first came to America, we were living in Oregon, and I discovered something beautifully American that I'd never experienced before. It's called fast food drive throughs What a glorious invention has been brought to our world. The ability to drive through and not even have to get out of your car, it felt like such a luxury, except I never got what I ordered because they couldn't understand me. And I'd order a hamburger and fries and I'd come out with 45 apple pies. And that probably gave away the particular corporation that I was visiting at that time. I love drive through fast food. What really was nauseating in Oregon was discovering a drive through divorce lawyer. Where you didn't even have to get out of your car. Just wind down your window. Does anyone remember that? Winding down windows. By the way, you notice I just did that on the right-hand side. I'm so sorry. Wind down the window. <laughs> God is for marriage, and I want you to listen really carefully. He hates divorce, Malachi, because I don't know a divorcee that doesn't hate divorce. No one goes into a marriage with the anticipation of the atomic bomb that leaves deep emotional craters that is divorce. But we don't stop there. We also say, or need to see, that we need to consider the context in the culture, what was going on at this time. Let me illustrate that. How many believe it should be legal for an 18-year-old to drink? Okay. One or two. And someone at the front here just said, drink what? <laughs> Who was that? Because you just won the new car. <laughs> Congratulations. Go see Pastor Dowry. He'll give you his. Um, I was talking about water. But you see, your cultural expectation, because of the current debates around this, you automatically assume when I said legal to drink that I was talking alcohol. No, I was talking. Are you suggesting that we shouldn't drink anything at all until we reach 18 or 21? See, the culture that we're in needs to be understood. Now, back in Jesus' day, there was a lot of conversation going on about divorce, not least because men were divorcing their wives, marrying someone else. They got fed up with them, and then they'd go back to the previous wife and claim her home, her possessions, and her children. Not only that, but there, were, there was debate going on between two prominent rabbis. There was a rabbi called Hillel, and he taught that a man could divorce his wife for any reason. If she went out in public with her hair lowered, if she spoiled his dinner, if she spoke to a guy on the street, if she spoke disrespectfully about her in-laws, he could just divorce her. In fact, one rabbi who followed this teaching, Akibar, he went further and he said a man could divorce his wife if he found another woman who was more beautiful. I'm looking around at you ladies right now. Your eyes just got narrow. 
I can see it in your, in your eyes. You're going, that dude may have been dead for 2,000 years, but if I could, I'd hunt him down. So you've got this liberal over here, and then you've got another rabbi, Shammai, who is teaching a much more restrictive view of divorce, clearer boundaries. What's going on here? Jesus is speaking up for the protection of women because they had no rights to divorce because they weren't considered able to have a contract. Jewish law provided that. Jewish practice at the day did not. Let me also say that nobody is called to stay in an abusive relationship. As a pastor, I've met Christians who've stayed in dangerous situations for themselves and for their children because they did not feel able to take action. 1 Corinthians 7 talks about abandonment and how we're released if we're abandoned. Abuse is worse than abandonment. Because abandonment says, I'm taken off. Abuse says, I'm going to stay and the torment is going to continue. Nobody is called to stay in an abusive relationship. Truth is, we live in a broken world. Of course, we hold up the ideal here, but we approach this subject with humility. We're all under construction. We should also know that an unbiblical divorce, there is such a thing as biblical divorce, that an unbiblical divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Thank God for grace. Let's also know those of us whose hearts break in this area because of the journey we take or have taken, that God is a divorcee. He had to divorce his people Israel. And he uses language of divorce. Jeremiah 3, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. All of this should lead us to wanting Timberline to be a place of providing care, divorce care, for people who've experienced the wrecking ball of this in their lives. We should also offer opportunities for us to go deeper in this area. Because I haven't touched the second or third episode yet at all, which is making some of you very nervous. There's a message that Pastor Brent Cunningham taught last year in the Wednesday night community on divorce. It's available on the well. We put it there this weekend. All you have to do is scan your connection card that's in front of you, and um, you can uh, utilize that. Before we move on, let me just say this, four other things. First of all, let's approach this subject with grace and truth. Secondly, let me say that we should approach this subject with grace and truth. Thirdly, I'd like to suggest that we approach this subject with grace and truth. And as perhaps you might possibly anticipate, we need to approach this with good job, grace and truth. Let's move forward. Thirdly, how to make Jesus angry. Let me say before I move on, our pastoral team is always available to want to provide care and conversation around these 
these things. All right, thirdly, how to make Jesus angry, devaluing people, devaluing people. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. And when Jesus saw this, he was indignant. In Jesus' day, children were considered worthless. You were only worth something when you grew up and then you you could contribute to the family economy, at least in the Greco-Roman world. Back then, if you had a daughter and you were looking for a son, you could throw children away by leaving them outside unattended. And unscrupulous people would tour the streets to collect exposed and rejected children and raise them to be gladiators, prostitutes, even disfigure them to enhance their value as beggars. In the Roman world, a father had absolute power of life and death over his children. It was called patria potestas. He could simply say, you offend me, I'm going to kill you. That was the way things were. And now these children are being bought by the parents, and Jesus watches his disciples rebuke them. And he is angry. And you say, Jesus angry? Yeah. Uh, Agnactio is the Greek word. It's like the snorting of the nostrils of a horse. He is angry. Now, why is he angry? Well, number one, just one chapter earlier, he told them, Mark chapter 9, whoever welcomes a child in my name welcomes me. He just told them that. And now they're doing this. You see, children are so valuable. And that's why I want to just take a pause for a moment because something rather beautiful happened this week here at Timberline. Um, We received an award, and this is not to self-congratulate. This is to report back your giving, your participating. And sometimes people say, what's the church doing to change the world? It's a cheap comment, and there's so many answers to that. This week, we had a visit in our weekly staff chapel from Angela Mead. She is the Deputy Division Manager for Larimer County Department of Human Services. And she presented an award to Pastor Darrell Haley, not for his tremendous legs that he's displaying there, (laughs) but rather for the work at Royal Family Kids Camp, which is an annual five-day camp, an ongoing program, to enrich the lives of children, young people in foster care. And the city, was recognizing this work and giving an award, and Angela actually appeared before the county commissioners, and here's what she said. A new part of our celebration uh, this year is to recognize a community agency for their extraordinary efforts in serving kids in foster care. This year, we are recognizing the Royal Family Kids Camp. Royal Family Kids Camp is a network of camps, children's club, and child mentoring for abused, abandoned, and neglected children in the foster care system. It was founded in 1985 by Wayne and Dion Tesh. Their mission is to create life-changing moments for children of abuse. Royal Family Kids Camp in Larimer County is hosted by Timberline Church, and they have been providing camps since 2016. Since their inception, 200 foster children have been part of their camps and mentoring programs. The camp experience is for foster kids aged 7 to 12, and their mentoring program serves youth aged 13 to 17. 
What is so unique about this program is that a foster care child begins their experience as a camper um, and, the, uh, and then the camps will continue on through the age of 13 and then they can continue their journey with the camp experience through the mentoring aspect of the program. This provides an extended time of connection, support and fun. So here we are, and uh, I want to just take a moment to express appreciation to Pastor Darrell and his team and all the wonderful volunteers that make this happen. Can we celebrate that and give thanks? But as we do, let's know that this is not just nice do-goodism. This is the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus. And there's a wider application here as we see the disciples sending people away. Here's a question I've been considering. Who do I send away? Who do I think as being not worth my time? How do we do with the homeless guy who's standing at the light with a card? Do we immediately just go, get a job? What about people with different values? Dare I say it, different politics from us. For yea, verily, election year cometh. <laughs> what about each other? We've been talking about divorce. I, I, I've watched people divorce their church for almost nothing. They got offended about something. They've been around for 30 years. They just march off without even explanation. Am I saying that God will never lead you to go to another church? Of course he can do that. Of course he can. But he does get the blame a lot when people casually treat their relationships as, as disposable. What about people that we take for granted? You know, it's Labor Day weekend where we're celebrating people who work hard. Right here at Timberline, we have hundreds of volunteers, many of whom are serving us right now behind the scenes. They never come up here on the platform. You don't know who they are. Do we take people for granted? I know we've applauded. Could we applaud them? <laughs> Two weeks ago, Pastor Donnie Abbott preached a great message here on true greatness about how we see people. If you haven't heard it, check it out. All right, I'm looking at the clock and I've got two points to go. So set your watches. Here we go. Number four, the simple trust of children receiving the gift of the kingdom. Jesus says, truly I tell you, anyone who will not enter the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. Mark 10, 15. Jesus is teaching something vital here about the ability to receive. I've talked about this before. We've got two grandsons, Stanley and Alex. They're growing up so fast. That should be illegal. I mean, it's crazy. Stanley is taller than me now, and he has the body that I should have. You know, it's just ridiculous. If I give Alex, our 11-year-old, a candy bar, he doesn't go into a paralysis of non-receptivity. Granddad! Thank you for this gift of this spectacular confectionery. But I am sad to say that I cannot receive it. For I indeed am not worthy, for verily I have not cleaned my room since birth. <laughs> no. He receives it gladly. And the candy disappears down the pre-adolescent throat at speed. But then we grow up. 
And we lose the capacity to freely receive. Try and give an adult a gift for no reason at all when it's not Christmas or birthday. Often we, we go into shock. Oh, you shouldn't have. Well, I didn't get you anything. I feel awful. The heart of being in the kingdom is the reality or the ability, I should say, to receive. Some of us in our journeys, we've got stuff that we're not proud of, and we define ourselves by our worst moments, and we wrestle with God. Let me pay you. But as we're about to see, as I conclude, it's not about paying. It's about receiving the free gift of his forgiveness and salvation. That leads us to this last man here, or this last episode, a self-made man. How can we be saved? Jesus looked at this rich young ruler, and he looked at him, and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that we all need to sell everything that we have and give it away to follow Jesus? Well, apparently not, because we haven't. More importantly, it's not a general principle because Jesus didn't make it a general principle. Zacchaeus, the tax collector, he swindled people. He voluntarily gave half of his wealth away and recompense those that he'd ripped off. This is not a universal rule. However, let's know that when we come to Jesus, we do give all that we have to him for his use and for his disposal. But the principle in this episode is that this man was standing on his own two feet well, I'm rich, so I'm accomplished. I don't need help. And this flows naturally on from the children who had the ability to receive. You see, sir, ma'am, you and I, we can't earn our way into the gift of eternal life. Never going to work. You say, well, I'm a pretty good person. I don't need Jesus. Well, actually, Jesus says you do. What we need to do is recognize our, effectively our helplessness to rescue ourselves, to give up our independence from God and receive the gift that is eternal life. As I draw this to a close, in a few moments I'm going to give an opportunity for people to receive to receive the gift. It may be that this is your first time here, You've been, or you might have been coming for a long while, and you basically say, I'm pretty good. I, I, I'll come and sing a few songs and all that, but I don't actually need to follow Jesus Monday as well as Sunday. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray a prayer, and it's an invitation prayer that you can use and over the course of the weekend, people have been doing this. If you want to become a Christian, this is the moment. 10.54, Sunday morning, 
This is the moment. If, you, if you've done that, but you know you're far away from him, you can use this as well, if you'd like. So let's pray together. First of all, here's the prayer. Jesus, I want to tell you that I need you. Not just for a better life, I need you to forgive me, to rescue me from my sin, from myself. And I invite you now to take charge in my life and I, by faith, receive your kingdom. That means I'm making you king now and forever over everything. I ask you to hear and recognize the decision that I make today. And I receive by faith the gift of your rescue and of eternal life with you. Let's just keep our heads bowed. If you've just prayed that prayer, I'd just like you to do something that kind of consolidates it. It's very simple. I'm not going to ask anything else of you. But would you just slip up your hand so I can see it, please, right now? And that's great over here on my left and at the back and then in the middle here. Just let me see your hand and wave it in case I haven't seen you. And over here on my right and here and over at the back there and back there as well. Thank you as well. And also at the front here. Thank you. And also some others here. Thank you so much. That's so wonderful. You can lower your hands. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you will continue your work in these lives. As our prayer team gathers in a few moments and there's the opportunity to talk with someone about this, please know that they are available to you. We've got resources for you that can help you in this journey. But we reflect as well on our own hearts in this prayerful attitude. Lord, show us where we've become hard-hearted. Help us in our marriages, in our close relationships. May we find grace where we need forgiveness for decisions we've made. Where appropriate, may we find confidence for decisions that we've had to make. Continue your work in us. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Can we welcome people who've just made a really great decision? If you're able, stand with me. Let's declare our faith in this amazing Jesus.
just to take a seat for a moment and some of you are thinking like are we not done I would like us to just have the luxury of a couple of minutes of quiet just with our lovely musicians playing quietly for us to just reflect on what we take away from this from Mark chapter 10. What, what, what's our takeaway? And I invite you just to, to bow your head uh, if you'd like to, if you can close your eyes. And I, I invite you just to reflect with me. Lord, what are you saying? So Lord, whatever you're saying and doing in us, may the seeds planted bear good fruit. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Hey, um, while we, you were reflecting, uh, uh, my friend Rob is up here and he doesn't know why he's up here. And he's looking, if you, it, the, the, the rabbit in the headlights thing, because I just went and tapped him on the shoulder and I just said, I need you on the platform, Rob and he doesn't know why. Uh, and the reason I've asked you to come up here, Rob, is because you're leading a ministry that is reaching out. And I just stopped by the, the classroom last weekend. And uh, would it be fair to say, Rob, that some of the folks that you're helping probably have heard it said that they're never gonna do anything great and, and it's the end of the line and there's been some hopelessness. Just describe what it is that, that you, you do. Well, um, we lead a, a ministry called Mighty Men of Valor. Um, we meet 8.30 on Sunday mornings. We've been doing this for about uh, 10 years. Uh, we reach out to men who have been in severe addiction homelessness. Uh, it started with uh, the Harvest Barn up in uh, uh, Wellington. Uh, essentially, we reach men who have been, in the worldly sense, uh, kicked to the curb, that have experienced 
lots of loss, um, lots of loss of identity, don't know who they really are. What we really want to do is reach out to them uh, with the hands and feet of Jesus. Uh, very quickly, uh, when I came to Timberline in 2004, I was one of those men. I was uh, a man that was lost in addiction, had a lot of hopelessness. I was a prodigal son, but very quickly, Pastor, what I expressed to you last week still holds true. When I walked into Timberline, the arms of the Father was in the form of community that reached out to me here at Timberline. So being a prodigal, I saw the arms of the Father with the arms of this community. You don't know how valuable that is. So I just want to applaud this community of Timberline Church and thank you very much for what you do uh, in embracing people who just desperately need Jesus. So thank you for that. Yeah, you, okay. Thanks, Rob. Uh, and the, this has not happened in any other service, but while we were reflecting, I just felt a sense from the Holy Spirit that I needed to go and tap Rob on the shoulder. Now, why did I do that? It's because there are people here in this service watching online, and you've said, it's too late for me. I've gone too far. I've crossed the line. And you needed me to drag Rob up here without warning, bless him, and just let you know that with Jesus, it's never too late. Never too late. So as you go, two things. First of all, I want to say something that can sound cheap and easy. People sometimes say to me when I go and preach in other churches, they say, love you, brother. And I'm like, you don't even know my name. But I, I want to say this to you. I love you. I love you. We British people don't say that easily. It's like, ooh. I love you. I'm so grateful for our Timberline family. And secondly, I, I want to pronounce the ancient blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. And the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Thanks for those of you who, who give boxes out there. Go forth and grill. Have a great weekend.